this, uh, this last week, uh, Chad and I, uh, we actually went and we played uh, racquetball together. Do we have any usual racquetball players? Anyone? Yeah, a few? So, so this last week, yeah, Chad and I went and we played racquetball. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, the game from the beginning was not fair. So, so Chad, uh, as many of us know, Chad, you know, he's been working through this back injury. He's, you know, still kind of like sensitive with it. He's, just, he's only just getting ready to say, yeah, I can, I can try some athletics. I can try to do some sport activity. And so he's, he's, he's you know, he's kind of handicapped in that way. And then on top of that, I, I play racquetball uh, fairly often, just casually play fairly often. Uh, Chad hadn't played in like five years. And so I'm much more familiar with the flow of the game, the rules. He's, he's trying to relearn this stuff. And so the game wasn't fair to begin with. Um, but Chad utterly demolished me. I mean, I mean it, w- it wasn't even funny how bad it was. It was just simply embarrassing. Uh, there were multiple times in the game where we made eye contact, and we just knew looking at each other's eyes. I mean, he didn't say anything, but I just knew, yeah, I suck. Yeah. <laughs> Bottom line, I suck. Uh, and when it comes down to it, I'm just, I'm just slow when it comes to sports. I'm a slow learner. Uh, Chad isn't. He's very, very quick at that. Uh, and there was, there, there's, this one, um, there's this one place, this corner in, in the court, that if somebody serves into that corner, I'm done. It, what happens is it hits the back wall, it hits the floor, or so it hits the, the side wall, hits the floor, then hits the back, back wall, and it basically just goes around me in a circle. And I'm like a dog chasing my tail. I'll, I'll follow the ball. <laughs> And just make this full loop, this full circle. Chad won around. Chad figured this out. And he repetitively served there. The game ended at 15-0. I'm sitting here again and again, just circling, circling, circling. And about 10 points in, Chad, being the sweetheart he is, he's like, you know, Philip, you, you really got to try to get, like, behind the ball. <laughs> right? But, but I, and of course, I didn't want to lose. I mean, I was okay with losing, and I especially didn't want to lose to a guy who was, you know, kind of handicapped. Uh, but nevertheless, I don't know what was going through my mind. I just felt like if I kept doing the same thing, if I kept chasing my tail in circles and circles and circles, eventually I'm going to win, right? It's like, uh, it's like I, you know, that, the definition of insanity we often attribute to Einstein. Uh, insanity is when you keep doing the same thing over and over again, and yet you uh, expect different results. I, and I, that's what I was doing. I was chasing my tails in circles and circles and circles and expecting that all of a sudden, eventually I got to win, right? Keep doing this. Uh, we do this in many areas of our life. Uh, we want something to be different, and yet we find ourselves just kind of making the same habits, making the same mistakes maybe, doing the same thing, and yet we just assume or expect that all of a sudden it's going to change. And sadly, I find that many Christians do this in their approach with prayer. One common question I ask people is, what is your prayer life like? How, how healthy is your prayer life? Is it, is it um, fulfilling the way you want it to be? Are you, are you, are you praying the way you, you want to be? And amazingly, most people tell me something similar. They say, yeah, Philip, you know, I pray, but I don't pray the way I want to pray. I don't have the habit, I don't have the, the discipline to be praying the way I, I wish I prayed more. And so I often ask the follow-up question, so what are you doing to change that? What are you doing to alter that? I mean, if you, if you feel like this is your, your, your lack of ability or your lack of discipline to make yourself and just come to God, 
what are you doing to change that? And the answer is always lacking. I find that many of us keep doing the same thing. We keep the same habit of prayer life. We keep doing the same things. And we expect or we hope that maybe all of a sudden one time is going to be different. Like all of a sudden I'm just going to start, my prayer life is going to explode. Uh, And that just doesn't happen. Uh, But prayer is a global phenomenon. People across the world pray. Uh, Most, if not all, the religions in the world have some type of prayer life. Christianity, Judaism, Islam, many even Eastern religions, even though their prayer is more internally focused, right? Yoga or meditation, there's some type of prayer life there. Uh, The vast majority, studies have shown the vast majority of people groups throughout the world pray. It's actually... uh, one of the, the, the most common experiences in, in human life is prayer. Actually, a recent study in America, a psychology study in America, shows that even 30% of atheists, those are people who do not believe in God, pray. Now, I have no idea who or what they are praying to, but they admit that there's some type of prayer life there. I mean, even sometime within once a year or something like that, they pray. Prayer is this global phenomena that we do. It expresses uh, this common desire to tap into something deeper than ourselves. This desire to tap into something deeper than ourselves. Uh, Karl Barth, an uh, early uh, to mid-19th century theologian, philosopher, he, he described this common desire as the incurable God-sickness. That there's this desire for us to tap and connect into some, with something deeper than ourselves. And there's no way that's going to be satisfied in anything else in, 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 in the world. It's incurable in that sense. And while uh, across, across the globe, people have this uh, common desire, this common habit of prayer, there are some important differences. Now, just because we all pray doesn't mean we pray the same way. And from faith to faith, uh, the, difference, uh, the difference in our prayers uh, is our goals and our God's. Our prayers are different in the goals and our gods. Uh, Christians ought to have a different reason for why they pray, and they ought to have a different type of God they are praying to. We pray to have fellowship with our Heavenly Father. We pray to communicate, to talk with the one who calls us beloved. Jesus makes this very clear in his teachings on prayer. And today I want to examine the type of prayer that Jesus wants us to have, the ways he wants us to pray differently than the rest of the world. And we're going to be studying in in Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that. Matthew chapter 6, 5 through 13. This lesson on prayer comes right in the, basically in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And if you're carefully reading through the sermon at this point in time, you've noticed that there's a couple of themes that have appeared or popped up. Now, I want to pull our attention to just one of those themes. Intentions matter. Jesus gives us a list of instructions and things of how we ought to be living. And at the core of all this, I want us to recognize our thoughts, our hearts, it matters. Our intentions, they matter. This is clear when Jesus talks about murder, when he talks about adultery, when he talks about giving to the poor. Right? Jesus tells us, thou shalt not murder, but he goes further. He says, thou shalt not hate. He says, thou shalt not commit adultery, but he also he goes further and he says, you shouldn't look at a woman wrong. There shouldn't be lust. 
right? The heart, the head, that matters. He says you should be serving the poor and giving to the poor, but do it for the right reasons. Right? The heart, the intentions matter. And we find that for prayer, it's very, very similar. Our intentions for prayer, they matter. And at the heart of, of, of why we pray is who we are praying to. What kind of a God are we praying to? For Jesus, it's about connecting to our Heavenly Father. And that's the emphasis, our Heavenly Father. That's who we pray to. And this is made clear on the sermon. So uh, let's take a look at this passage, starting in verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father who knows what you need before you ask. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now I want to be very clear what I want to look at today in this passage. Uh, There's a a whole lot of material here, especially in the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. And I'm just wanting to focus on on just one concept. I want us to examine uh, what our goals and the goals and the gods of our prayers should be. I want us to ask the question, why are we praying and who are we praying to? And in in doing so, I think what we're going to find is Jesus presents to us is there are a few common mistakes we often make. There are some ways that we end up chasing our tails in our prayer life. All right, Jesus, uh, and Jesus, in order to get to this, and this is clear, because Jesus, in order to get to this, he starts off by saying what not to do, how we shouldn't pray. Uh, it it kind of reminds me of the way many parents approach uh, parenting. Actually, my, my parents, they, they taught like this. They, they taught some major life lessons like this by showing maybe some mistakes they make. Right? My, my dad would often say, oh, look what your mother's doing, or my mother would say, look what your father's doing. Or they would point to maybe some family, some of my friends, and they'd be saying, look, here are some common mistakes, here are some mistakes that they're doing. And they would ask, what do you see? What are they doing wrong there? And they would teach me like that. And I see many other people teach like that. They they kind of use other people's mistakes as an example. This is what Jesus is doing here. He's like, you see these people? You see the way they pray? Most importantly, do you see why they pray? And you see where they're off? Don't, Don't do that. First thing, the first way he starts off here is he starts off with the hypocrites. He says, don't be like those people who love that attention, who just love to be seen as Mr. Holy. Don't, don't pray like them. Right? He, says, he says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And it's possible that Jesus is talking about a specific group of people like, so oftentimes, Jesus uh, talks about Pharisees. He calls them the hypocrites. 
Um, but but I, I think Jesus is, uh, is who he's talking about here is a bit larger than that in this context. Um, it wasn't just Pharisees that prayed in public and prayed on the street corners. It was, it, was a, it was a common practice that all kinds of Jews would do. They'd just pray in public, and it was their spiritual, spiritual practices were just this outward thing that everyone could see, everyone could be a part of. And it's easy to imagine that many of those, those Jews, many of those people, that was the only time they prayed. They would only pray in public. They prayed so that they were seen by others. And it's important to understand, though, Jesus is not condemning public prayer. Right? He's not saying it's bad to pray in public. Right? Jesus prayed in public. His disciples prayed in public. In the whole context of Jesus' life, we can understand he's not saying it's bad to pray in public. Instead, he's condemning those who only pray in public. The hypocrite isn't the person who prays in public. The hypocrite is the person who only prays in public. Yet their prayer life at home is totally lacking. That's who Jesus is condemning. That's who Jesus is saying, don't don't pray like them. See, Jesus wants people to pray in public, but he wants them to pray that much more at home in the quiet hours of their life. Jesus wants us to have a strong prayer life at home, not just in public. But it's important to understand that you don't have to be a complete hypocrite to pray like a hypocrite. You don't have to be a complete hypocrite in your religious faith to pray like a hypocrite, to have that, that habit of praying like a hypocrite. Uh, you could be a great religious leader. You could be a great Christian. You could be sincere in your spirituality in and out throughout your life. You can, in fact, have a wonderful prayer life for the majority of your life, and maybe it's just you fall into this habit or this cycle for just a few months or a year or something in your life. Right? So, so anyone can steep into this mistake of, of beginning to pray like a hypocrite. Sadly, I do this all too often. So my wife and I, we just hit our four-year anniversary. It was December 18th, just about a week and a half ago. Four years of marriage. And within the first year, we picked up a pretty bad habit. Uh, we, what we would do is we would come home from whatever we were doing and, uh, and from work or whatever we were doing that day, and we would pick up one of the, uh, something to eat, one of the, uh, what, might be the three major food groups of the cross home, which is uh, orange chicken, carne asada fries, pizza, and buffalo wings. All right, we'd pick up one of these things, we'd come home, and then we'd just sit in front of the TV, and we'd just veg for hours. We picked up this really bad habit of doing this. Uh, and, and in the midst of that, I, I knew for myself, my prayer life, my personal study time, it was just lacking at home. And instead, this is the way, uh, this is the way I, this is what I did when I got home. And it was that following summer, I think, uh, God really had enough. Right? He was trying to, to, to challenge me and convict me in this. In the course of two weeks, a number of things happened. First, I found myself thinking about it all the time. I found myself personally convicted. I was like, man, this is not what I want to do. This is not the way I want our marriage to work. Right? I don't want to be talking about spiritual things and yet have that absent in my life at home. The second thing was that we as a staff were going through this devotional, and in that we, we came across a, a particular section that really emphasized how important it is for Christians, particularly for leaders, to have a uh, solid amount of quiet time, solid time with God at home. Right? How important it is to shut the phone off, to shut the TV off, to shut the, the, the 
computer off and just be with God in prayer. I remember watching a sermon in this two weeks. This sermon is actually called uh, The Most Important Sermon You'll Ever Hear. And it was very good, but it really challenged me about how important it is that my prayer life at home was, was active. And finally, and maybe worse off, was that uh, I had actually was doing a, a one-on-one study with a youth, with, a, with one of our guides in the youth group. And we were walking through the book of First Peter. And there was, a, there was a point in the book that came up where we, we just hit this topic. And I remember telling him how important it is that you're praying at home. How important it is that you take time to turn the phone off, turn the computer off, turn the TV off, and you just be in prayer. And what's funny is this, all this happened in the course of two weeks. I'm having these theological conversations. I'm teaching others. I'm, I'm labbering my mouth off. And yet it's lacking at home. And I think one night, God had enough. Um, Nicole and I got home. Pizza in one hand. <laughs> buffalo chicken wing in the other. Right, and we go, we, we go to turn on Netflix. Right, we mostly watch uh, movies on Netflix, and lo and behold, the internet was out. We thought, okay, guess we have to. We, we go and we, we we stick a DVD in, and we decided we'll just watch the movie, you know, old-fashioned way. Within about ten minutes, the power goes out on the whole street. Our ho- our whole house is is dark, right. Then I realized, oh, I know now why God invented the laptop. So I pull open the laptop, and we start watching a movie on our laptop. But for whatever reason, that, that day I had, was using my laptop, and I didn't have it plugged in. And so sure enough, the battery runs out within 10 minutes. And then we're thinking, man, we're trying hard to watch the movie. We can't do it. And then I say, you know, don't worry. Don't worry, wife. I'm a man of the plan. So I pull out my phone, <laughs> and we start watching Netflix on my phone. <laughs> but I, I actually, at the time, I had this phone. It was like, it had terrible battery life, and it was dead in 15 minutes. And finally, we, we got the picture. Maybe, maybe we shouldn't watch TV right now. So we go, and we light up a candle, and we spend some time just talking. We read a psalm. We prayed together. Uh, and I wish that, you know, there was, we, we prayed more together. Uh, we both have our, our devotion life on our own. I actually wish that as a couple we prayed more together, and that's something we've talked about and tried at. But, um, but that story makes it clear that, you know, God is relentless to grab our attention. But the thing about that story that gets me the most, when I look back on my life, what gets me the most is here I am having these theological conversations. Here I am publicly demonstrating how spiritual I am, teaching other people about the importance of prayer and quiet life at home, and yet that was totally lacking in the quiet hours of my life. I'm blabbering my mouth off, and yet I'm not walking what I'm talking. Right? And I don't think that I'm a complete hypocrite. I'm, I'm sincere in my faith. I know that. that my, 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 my faith is very real. And though there might be a few areas in my life that I am a hypocrite in, and I want to repent of those, I am not a complete hypocrite. But as I said, you don't have to be a complete hypocrite to sometimes pray like a hypocrite. Right? So many of us can fall into this pattern. And so um, here are a few warning signs, some red flags. Here's your sign if you're starting to pray like a hypocrite. 
You know you pray like a hypocrite when you talk about the importance of prayer all the time. You pray often in public. You make sure that you pray before you eat your, your, the meal with your family. That has to happen. You encourage prayer in public. You think about how you sound when you pray. Like you're praying, and you're in prayer with a group, and you had your eyes shut, and you're saying stuff, and you're incredibly conscious of what you're saying and nervous about what other people are thinking of you. You're doing all these things, yet your prayer life at home is lacking. You know you're a hypocrite when you do those things and you're not praying at home. And here's just a question to get your mind thinking on this. Right? Do you pray more often in public or in private? And that's not a guaranteed error. It just gets you thinking. Right? What is my prayer life like at home? Do I pray more in public or in private? If you pray because of how it looks, then you're praying for the wrong reasons. And Jesus' instructions to us is clear. Repent. Stop praying like that. Value the opportunity to get to spend intimate fellowship with your Heavenly Father. This is, this is like a relationship like any other. Imagine if, imagine if I only talked to my wife in public. I only told her I loved her in public. I only, I only showed her affection in public just because I want other people to know how much I love my wife. I only did that in public. What kind of a relationship would that be? It would not be healthy. It would not be healthy. In the same way, uh, our prayer life, we might struggle in our prayer life We might feel like, man, I wish it was different because we make this mistake. We're not demonstrating this kind of commitment and value with our relationship with God. The next lesson that Jesus uh, gets to is about the pagan or the Gentile. And this is what he says regarding this. He says, and when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. One thing I want us to be aware of right away is that word Gentile or pagan. Some translations say one, some translations say the other. Uh, The Greek word there is ethnikos. And it's most often translated as Gentile, meaning non-Jew. So when you see that word ethnikos, well, in Greek, when that word ethnikos comes off, it's most often translated as Gentile. So it's talking about non-Jews. In this particular context, I, I think it, uh, the, better trans, the better word, that, or at least the word that gives a more clear idea, is the word pagan. And that's more specific. It's more talking about more cultural religious issues, a more cult- cultural religious thing. Right? And so I think the clear idea here is because, I mean, there were uh, non-Jews that prayed to God. They were called God-fearers. And there were non-Jews that, that had a healthy prayer life. And so I don't think Jesus is saying, don't pray like non-Jews pray. I think what Jesus is saying, don't pray like the the religious pagans pray. So he's saying, don't pray like the pagans. And one thing to understand here is that pagans were not unreligious. Quite the contrary. They were incredibly religious. Pagans were incredibly religious people, group of people. They worshipped, they prayed, they made sacrifices to their gods all the time. Actually, most of their community gatherings or community feasts, they were built and worked around some kind of a, a religious thing. Right? Actually, um, 
uh, many Christians had conflict, right? So, so the meat that was most often, uh, that, that people would eat at a feast, that meat was, was usually came from a sacrifice. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians has to instruct some Christians on whether or not they can eat that meat, right? But it was pagan, pagan worship, pagan religion overflowed into all areas of their life. They were incredibly religious. Pagans were very, very, very religious. Jesus recognizes this. And that's why he says they, they put up empty phrases. And what, what that means, when you say empty phrases, that means there's no depth to their words. There's no heart to it. Right? There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing deeper than just these things they're just spewing out. He says they set up empty phrases because they believe that they will be heard with their many words. They prayed a lot, but their words meant nothing. So Jesus is condemning how often they pray. He's condemning why they pray. Right? He's condemning why they pray. Once again, intentions matter. Pagans pray for a specific reason. They pray because they believe they have the power to buy, barter, or bribe honor and blessings from their gods. They believe they have the power to influence their gods to do what they want them to do. They built these big temples. They built these idols. They would give sacrifices. They would give money. They would spend hours praying because they wanted that God to do something for them. They go to the God of love because they want something in their romantic life. They go to the God of war because they want something in a battle. They want to win some battle. They, they go to the God of childbearing so that, so that they will conceive a child and give birth to a child. And they would spend time and time praying empty words, empty phrases, offering sacrifices, giving money, because they believe they can buy their God's blessing. Pagans believed they could win favor and earn blessings from their God. They didn't pray out of love. They didn't pray out of fellowship or relationship. They prayed because they wanted something from their God. And the key difference here between pagans and Christians is not only their goal in prayer, but also the type of God in their prayer. Pagans prayed to a God that can be bought. They prayed to gods that can be bought. Christians pray to a God who already knows our needs. We pray to a God, to a Father who loves us dearly, loves us enough to take care of our physical and our spiritual needs. We're not trying to buy God's blessing, but to be in relationship with him. In a way, we're, we're kind of aching through that, that pain, that, that incurable God sickness, that desire. We're wanting to connect to God. It's the heart of it. Pagans believe in a God that are petty. They are what uh, religious scholars call anthropomorphized. That basically means that these are gods created in the image of men. And if you kind of look through these stories of these gods and the, and the, the Greco-Roman stories of the pantheon of, of gods, you see that the, these gods are, these are petty gods. They look just like people. They act like people. They're selfish like people. They can be won over like people. Their favor can be earned or bought like people. They are like men. But Christians pray to a God who transcends this human selfish tendency. We pray to a God uh, who transcends that. We are made in the image of God, not the other way around. We pray to a God whose favor cannot be bought. 
whose blessing cannot be earned and whose love cannot be justified. We don't pray to earn God's favor and win his blessing. But just like the hypocrite, you don't have to be a pagan to sometimes pray like a pagan. You don't have to be a pagan to sometimes approach God the way pagans approach their gods. Right? And so here are some warning signs. Here are some more warning signs, some red flags for you. Some things to be aware of. You know you pray like a pagan when you find yourself trying to win his favor. That at the heart of your prayer, you're just trying to win his favor. You're trying to get God on your side. When you pray simply because you feel like he ought to. Like good Christians ought to pray. And there's this kind of obligation, this chore, this duty that I have to do to keep, to keep God on my good side. Right? When you only ever come to God because there's something you want from him. Oh, I lost my keys. Better pray. Oh, I'm having a tough day at work. Better pray. Oh, we're tied on finances. Better pray. And that's the only ever time you come to him. You pray like a pagan. And this one I think is very common. You pray like a pagan when, when you struggle to pray. You struggle to want to pray because rarely does God ever do what you want him to do. As if for some reason that the purpose of prayer is that your will be done, not his. And you pay like a pagan when those things happen. And these errors in prayer stem from a poor view of who God is. They stem from a poor view of who God is. We pray like this when we approach God the way pagans approach their gods. And this is the very thing Jesus wants to fix. Jesus wants us to have the right view of God when we come to him. If we come to God, if we approach God with the wrong view of him, we're going to find all our spiritual life in struggle. If we approach God the wrong way, we're going to find our prayer life is a struggle. It's a battle. And the the ball is going to keep getting served to us, and we're going to find ourselves chasing our tail because we continually make this mistake of thinking of God as some kind of pagan idol. We're approaching God the wrong way, and we're, and we're going to get frustrated in our prayer life because of it. So it is therefore imperative that we come to God with the right view. And that's what makes Jesus' next words so powerful. Jesus just said, don't pray like the hypocrite or just trying to win favor with men. Don't pray like the pagan who's trying to buy their God with many words. Instead, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. And there's so much that can be said about, about this prayer, this whole prayer, but I just want to stop at that first phrase. Our Father. Jesus wants us to begin our prayers with the right view of God. We are talking to our heavenly Father who dearly loves us and who we love. We pray to a God that we call Father. That's the, that's the big point I want us to, to hit home with right now. And sometimes we fail to realize just how powerful this is. You see, throughout the New Testament, uh, it's made clear again and again and again that we are God's children. Now, we are God's children. Through Christ, we have become fellow heirs with him. Through Christ, we, we are adopted sons and daughters of God. When we pray... We're not trying to earn his love. That's something we can't do. We can't 
throw enough words up to him to make him love us. More importantly, we don't need to. God's love for us is so deep, so immense, so vast, so great. No amount of words can buy that or earn that. But we don't need to pray like that. We don't need to pray for those reasons. I want us to reflect on how wonderful it is that we have the opportunity to pray to one who loves us so much, to talk with, communicate with, have fellowship with the one who loves us more than anything else. Nothing else in all of existence will ever care for us the way that God cares for us. And in prayer, we have the opportunity to to communicate with him, to speak with him, to pour our heart out with him. Our prayers are focused on our heavenly Father. Unlike the pagans' gods or the fame of the hypocrites, the reward and blessings of God do not come from our works or our words. We pray to a God of grace who blesses even though we do not deserve it. So I have a question I want you to think about. Why do you pray? Seriously, why do you pray? What is at the heart of your prayers? What is at the heart of why you pray? If I were to sit down and ask you, how is your prayer life? What would you tell me? Would you say, uh, I wish it was better? My guess is this. If you wish your prayer life was better, my guess is that the heart of your prayers, the heart of your prayers is off. And maybe the goals of your God or the gods of your prayers off. My guess is that you're not thriving in your prayer life because you have this view of prayer that it's some kind of a chore, some kind of a task that we ought to do as good Christians. You haven't really owned Jesus' words, this is our Heavenly Father who loves us. Right? Uh, it might be because that you're stuck in this trap, chasing your tail of trying to please people or trying to please God in your prayers. And I, I find that when I talk to people about their prayer life, I often see a common motivation that's, that's a mistake. People pray in order to please. Right? That's the two types of people that Jesus is warning us of. Right? The hypocrites are trying to please people, uh, and, and the pagans are trying to please a God. And when I say please a God, I don't mean that in a healthy way. It's not like they have this huge love for God, and they're just trying to, to honor him and love him. I mean, they're trying to win his favor. They're just trying to appease him, and they believe somewhere that they have the power to do that with their words. That's a common error that Jesus is saying, steer away from this. Instead, focus on your prayers. Let your prayers be focused on the idea that you are praying to your heavenly Father. At some level, I am concerned that many of us, we sometimes approach prayer with the wrong view of God. We aren't owning Jesus' words. Pray them like this our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father who loves us. Who loves us dearly. Who is passionate about us. Stop worrying about how you sound in prayer. Stop worrying about what other people think in prayer. Right? Stop, stop approaching prayer as if it's this kind of task or chore that you have to do to be a good Christian in God's eyes and to stay holy in God's eyes. Stop worrying about Because the heart of our prayers should be talking with, having fellowship with, 
communicating our hearts, life, and love to our Heavenly Father. Come to God dwelling on how great his love is for you. Don't get caught up in any other thoughts. Share your life, your burdens, your struggles. Share those things with him because he cares for you enough to listen. Let me close this time now. Join me as we, as we come to our Heavenly Father, as we pray to our Heavenly Father. Join me now as we, as we pray to the one who calls us beloved. Father in heaven, God, I ask that right now we, that each one of us just receives that opportunity to recognize who we are before you. That we receive that opportunity to recognize how great, how deep your love is for us. God, help us, teach us how to pray to you as our Father. God, steer us away from from praying for the wrong reasons or from thinking of you in the wrong way. God, help us just to be overcome and overwhelmed by your love when we stand before you in our prayers. God, challenge us today. Father, I ask, I personally ask, that your heart speaks louder than my words. And you move each one of us. That you help us be moved by the great depths of your love. We say these things as your, as your children. We say these things as the ones who you call beloved. We love you, Father. Thank you.